Fantastic job, ladies. Beautiful message. Singing praise to the Lord, even in the tough times. Many of you know exactly what that's about. I invite you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 9 today. Matthew chapter 9, as we continue our study and following the footsteps of Jesus while he was here. Today we're going to follow Jesus as he continues to reach out and touch the broken lives of people. Last week in chapter 8, we watched as Jesus cleansed the leper, healed the centurion servant, touched Peter's mother-in-law, and calmed the storm and cast out demons from two men. Now in chapter 9, we're going to get to watch our Savior continue his miracle-working ministry. And I'm going to read Matthew 9, verses 1 through 12, just to get started today. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say, arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled. And glorified God who had given such power to men. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Father, we bow in your presence today and pray that, Lord, your word would find a soft spot in our heart to rest, to challenge, to change, to convict. May the teaching of Matthew 9 impact our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus displays his power over several areas in Matthew chapter 9. Notice, first of all, Christ's power over sin in verses 1 through 8. We see that in the healing of the paralytic. The Lord had already shown himself power over sickness, showed his power over storms, but what could Jesus do about sin? Now, this man was paralyzed. He was unable to walk, unable to move. He had to depend upon others to get him anywhere that he went. And in the parallel passages of Scripture in Luke and Mark, we find that this man had four good friends. And 
He wanted to get to Jesus, but he couldn't get there on his own. Jesus had been in the house there in Capernaum, and so he had his friends, and his friend says, we can do this. So they each picked up one of the, the, the sides of the stretcher that he was sleeping on, and they came to the house where Jesus was healing people in this house. And they couldn't get there because there was a huge crowd, kind of like a concert on Friday night here at Peace River. You can't walk around because so many people are there. And there's so many people out in front of the house and filling the house, there was no way that this guy was going to get to see Jesus at all. He had to take a number and wait in line. But his friend says, well, we... This guy really needs to, be, to meet Jesus. So they came up with an ingenious plan. Let's climb up on the roof. Now, it doesn't say it in Matthew, but the other passages of Scripture tell that these four men somehow got the friend up there on the roof, and they came over to the place where Jesus was down below them, and they ripped open the, the tiles that were on the roof, and they attached a rope, and they let this man down on the rope right in front of Jesus. I tell you, that's getting some attention when you break up the roof in order to come to church. Most people are trying to get out of church, but this guy wanted to be right where Jesus was doing his healing ministry. And Jesus stopped, and he said, Wow. And he commended those four men for their faith. And he looked at that guy and he healed them. But before he healed that man, he did something even more powerful. He forgave this man's sins. Now, it doesn't say here, but it's indicated that this man probably had had this malady because of his sins. It doesn't say that, but some sins are because of your own fault. Some, some sicknesses are a result of your own fault. Not every sickness, of course, has nothing to do with sin, but this one indicates in the text that possibly his sinful lifestyle choices had gotten him paralyzed, and Jesus saw that and saw this faith, and he said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Oh, my friend, this is the greatest healing of all the greatest healing of all. Erwin Lutzer tells a story. Many years ago, a father and his daughter were walking through the grass on the Canadian prairie. In the distance, they saw a prairie fire, and they realized that it would soon engulf them. The father knew there was only one way of escape. They would quickly begin a fire right where they were and burn a large patch of grass. When the huge fire drew near, they would stand in the middle of that section of burned out grass that the, that the fire had already burned. And when the flames approached them, the girl began to scream, was terrified, but the father assured her, the flames can get to us. We're standing right there where the fire has already burned. Oh, my friend, I want to tell you something. The fire of God's judgment cannot burn us if we're standing on the ground of forgiveness. If our sins are forgiven, what a gracious... You know, if we think that man needs a lot of things. He needs food, he needs clothing, he needs shelter, he needs air, he needs fulfillment, he needs work, he needs a good government. Good luck with that. He needs, he needs a lot of different things. But you know what man's greatest need is? Man needs someone to tell him, you are forgiven. 
You are forgiven of everything you've ever done. And the only person, the only one that can forgive sins, his name is Jesus. And he can forgive you. If you're coming here in the house of the Lord today and your heart is weighed down by a weight of sin, i got good news. Jesus can wash it all away. Just like he forgave this man, forgave his sins. I want you to notice the reaction of the religious leaders. While this was going on, he forgave the man's sin. And in verse 3, and at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, they didn't speak this audibly. They didn't even whisper it. They just thought it. These scribes thought, this man blasphemes, meaning Jesus. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he is God, <laughs> he can read their minds, and he said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? <laughs> he got them. He had forgiven this man's sin, and they were beginning to say, what is this guy doing? He is blaspheming. You know what blasphemy is? Blasphemy is claiming to be God. And when Jesus forgave sins, the scribes rightly understood only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, of course, was showing His deity right there, His authority, His power on earth to forgive people's sins. And they caught that. And they said, this man is blaspheming. Then Jesus pointed to them and says, what do you think is easier? To say to this paralyzed man that's lying there on this mat, your sins are forgiven you, or to say something else? And then he had them all watch. And the man that he said, your sins are forgiven you, he came over to him and he says, rise up and walk. And as soon as the words left his mouth, that man stood up on strong feet, picked up that stretcher that had been lowered in the roof, and he went home. And Jesus healed this man. The reaction of the crowd, and this is, verse 8 says, and when the multitude saw it, they marveled, their, draws, their jaws dropped, and they glorified God. They still didn't get it, the fact that Jesus was more than a man, Christ's power over sin. But the second miracle, or the second incident, shows Christ's power over tradition, verses 9 through 17. Notice in verse 9, Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now, um, Matthew, who you know is one of the disciples of Jesus, this is uh, he had probably had heard about Jesus before and met him and things, but this is where Jesus went to where he was working. And Matthew was a tax collector, and the one thing about tax collectors, they were not very much liked by people, kind of like today, you know, the, the government and the IRS is not very uh, liked today, but uh, Matthew was one of those tax collectors, the way why, and Matthew was a Jew, and the reason why the Jews hated their fellow Jews for collecting taxes because a lot of times they worked for the hated Roman government and the Roman government gave them uh, leeway to charge a little bit more than they would pocket the rest. And a lot of tax collectors were considered cheaters and considered uh, 
skimming off the top. And they were hated. You wouldn't even sit down, you wouldn't even talk to a tax collector, even though he had a strong Jewish history. You'd just walk by on the other side of the street, didn't want to think anything to do with it. But you know what Jesus did? He went inside Matthew's house, breaking through the barriers of Jewish tradition and calling Matthew to be one of his followers. I'm a friend, it doesn't matter where you work, it doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter any kind of occupation you might have. Jesus calls people from all walks of life, rich and poor, all kinds of races. He calls them to be his followers. What a great thread. Breaking through the barriers. And notice something else that happened after Jesus went to Matthew's house. Verse 10. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house. Now, and Matthew doesn't say where the house was, but the other gospel writers, it was Matthew's house. And notice who the guests were that Matthew invited. That behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Jesus, again, is breaking through all kinds of Jewish tradition and barriers. You would never go into the house of a Gentile. You'd never go into a house of a tax collector. But Jesus went to supper. Matthew invited him to come with his disciples. Come on, Jesus. Uh, you, you, I'm one of your followers. Let's get Peter and uh, John and all the other guys with us here. And I got some good friends. Some friends, well, they're kind of uh, seedy characters, you know. They're, they're not saved yet, but I'm going to invite them to come to dinner. And, and you and the disciples, the rest of them, can talk to them and talk to them about eternal life. And so he invited his friends. He had what we call a Matthew party. Invited all the sinners and all of the friends and all of his associates, shady and other, other degrees of, of sinfulness, and come to sit down with Jesus. Oh, my friend, that's the same thing we need to do. We need to somehow get those that are lost into a place where they can hear the Word of God. If they won't come to church, let them come to your house and share your testimony with them. He had a Matthew party, and many of us need that. Now, there's an, another teaching in verse 16 and 17 that, that kind of follows along about Christ's power over tradition. With uh, new cloth and new wineskins. The new cloth and the new wineskin. Listen to the teaching there. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the terror is made worse. So what we see here is um, the illustration of the cloth being sewn onto an old garment doesn't work very well. So what Jesus is teaching here in the application is he came. The cloth reminds us that Jesus Christ came to bring spiritual wholeness. He did not come to patch up the failing Judaism that was there. He came to make us a whole new cloth. And that's what Jesus comes to do. He doesn't just try to come to patch us up. Oh, we just need a little boost here. We just need a little religion here. And Jesus can kind of come and fix this. No. He comes to, to, to give you a whole new cloth, a whole new life. That's why he came. And the other one is the new wine in uh, the, the new wineskins here. The Jews would put uh, unfermented wine or ferment 
in a new wineskin. That's how they would keep it, so that the leather would be able to stretch as the wine would ferment. You wouldn't put the new wine into a, a wineskin that had already been stretched out, because if you did, it would burst and it would go everywhere. So what in the world is Jesus teaching about there? Well, Jesus came to give us the new wine of His teaching. The old wineskin of Judaism was being fulfilled, and He came to give us new life and new joy and a new way of living. And He talks about fasting and feasting. John the Baptist's disciples were fasting, but His were feasting. And He simply said, hey, you've been at a wedding party, haven't you? When the bridegroom shows up, the feasting begins. Fast when the bridegroom is here. And of course, Jesus referring to his being here, a new way of living, a new life, Christ's power over tradition. He came to give us a new cloth and new wine, a new way of living. Christ's power also is over death. I love this story, verses 18 to 26. It's recorded also in Mark and Luke, and Mark and Luke kind of fills in some more of the details, and I'll be teaching that. Verse 18, while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshiped him, saying, my daughter had just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Now, the other gospel accounts kind of fill in the gaps. The the ruler's name was Jairus. And Jairus was a pillar of Jewish orthodoxy. He was probably a synagogue leader. And he believed in Jesus, unlike the scribes. And the uh, Gospel of Mark indicates that Jairus' daughter was at at the very brink of death. She hadn't already died yet. She was there. She was about ready to breathe her last. And, And Jairus who was very well liked among the Jews because he was a synagogue leader. He was a man of influence. And so what is uh, the the Jews were in great sympathy, and he came to Jesus and knew about Jesus' healing ministry. If he could just get to my daughter in time, I know he can heal her and, and bring her back to full health. Well, Jesus was on his way, and then he had an interruption. We're going to get to the interruption later, but let's just go on to the rest of the story. What we see here is that he goes to Jairus' house, and as his love for his dying daughter caused him to seek Jesus' help, uh, even though the religious leaders were opposing him, they wanted to see what was happening. So Jesus quickly reassured the man that I will be there, and the scene at the home must have frightened Jairus. Because Jesus took command and raised the girl from the dead. Now, Jesus said, don't worry, the girl's only sleeping. And of course, they laughed at him because they knew that he had died while Jairus and Jesus were on the way. Well, they were already starting the funeral. They were already starting the mourning. They were already starting the traditional, uh, because he was a very popular man and his little daughter had died and they were sad for him. They were weeping for him. And Jesus came in and says, ah, don't worry, she's just sleeping. And of course, they laughed at him. And he said, put everybody out and put everybody out of the room. And Jesus came to that little girl and touched her hand and said, Tabitha Kuma, arise, little girl. 
And that little girl rose from the dead. Oh, my friend, every last one of us are dead in our sins. We're born into this world sinners. And then there comes a time in our life when the Holy Spirit begins to call and, and work on our heart. And we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and we ask Him, please, Lord, save me. And we're risen from the dead. We're no longer walking around all the way to eternity, separated from God. Our lives are changed. Jesus breathes new life into us. And we're raised from the dead. What a wonderful miracle. Well, something happened on the way to Jairus' house. Well, you can imagine the crowd. Jairus was a very popular person. You've got Jesus and Jairus, and you've got the 12 disciples, and then you've got the rest of the crowd that are wondering what's going on. And there's this big procession coming along. And then somewhere in the crowd, there is a woman. This woman had an issue of blood, a flow of blood, a menstrual type of thing, for 12 long years. She went to doctor after doctor, and the doctor says, I'm sorry, we can't help you. And she spent all of her money. Not only had she spent all of her money, she was getting weaker by the day. You could probably look at her face. It would be drained and white as a sheet. Gathering up the light, she had heard about Jesus. She had heard that Jesus was healing. And she thought within herself, if I could just get to Jesus, if I can just even just touch the hem of his garment. Now, the hem of a Jewish garment, a rabbi would have tassels on it, and those were to remind them of the law. And Jesus had this garment, and the tassels were there. And she went through the crowd, and of course, it was a very large crowd, and she, she, she tried her best. And she was also not only physically about ready to die, she was ceremonially unclean. The Jews didn't have anything to do with her. And she had to live separately because of her issue of blood but she went into that crowd and she reached her hand through and she touched the hem of his garment. The other scriptures says, Jesus said, who touched me? <laughs> his disciples said, Jesus, you're asking who touched you? We're being mauled here, you know. They're, they're, everybody's touching you. No, no, no. Who touched me? With a hand of faith. I feel power has gone out for me. And then... Everybody went aside, and the woman cowered, and Jesus said to this woman, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well, and the woman was made well from that hour. I was at a pastor's retreat. Don and I was with this pastor's retreat in Indiana, and there was a pastor's wife there from Salem, Indiana. Her name was Rabina Panabaker. Rabina was dying of cancer, and she wanted to go and be with her fellow brothers and sisters in ministry, and she, she came to the retreat, and she was beginning to tell her story because one pastor asked her this question, how are you able to handle this cancer? And with a weakened voice, I heard Rabina say these words, even though I'm sick, even though I'm weak, even though... I know I'm dying, even though I'm worried about my husband and my children, I can still touch the hem of his garment. What she was saying is her faith was still in Jesus. 
she held on to him. No matter what was happening in her life, no matter what was going upside down in her world, she was still able. How about you, my friend? When life seems to turn you upside down, when you don't know how long, are you able to still hang on even to the hem of the garment of the Lord Jesus? I'll never forget that testimony of that dear saint. She is with the Lord now, but she was able to hang on. Can you still touch the hem of his garment? Christ's power over disease. Christ's power over death. Christ's power now over darkness. Verses 27 to 34. We see the account of two blind men. Verse 27, Jesus departed from there. Two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. Now, we're not told anything about these two blind men, and of course, they couldn't find their own way to Jesus. They must have had friends to bring bring them to the house where Jesus was, and Blindness is a picture of spiritual ignorance and unbelief, and the sinner has got to be born again before he can see the things of God. And after he healed these two blind men, he told them, he strictly charged them, don't tell anybody. Now, of course, they ignored it, but you say, well, why, why, didn't Je- why did Jesus tell them not to say anything? Well, he's beginning to get very popular. And, and the crowd has tried to make him a king, try to force him to, to be the overthrow of Rome and try to, to get him to be that. They like the loaves and the fishes. They like the miracles. They like the healing. But they don't want anything to do with the change of life and the change of heart. They just want some king to overthrow Rome. And Jesus knows that this is the mentality of the crowd. So don't tell anyone. It's not time. It's not time. Got to work in people's hearts. Because there's still people today that want all, the, all of the things that go with Jesus, but they don't want Him as their Lord and their Savior. But they ignored Him and they, told, they spread His fame throughout the country. And then a mute man was healed. But notice what happened in verse 34, the unbelievable opposition. Then Jesus went, or verse 34, but the Pharisees said, after He healed this mute man, the mute man was mute because... He was indwelt by a demon, and the demon had, caught, had seized his vocal cords and was not able to talk. And everybody knew that uh, that, that guy's got this demon, and they knew uh, that demons were more prevalent back in, in uh, Bible times in Jesus' day. And, and all. So he, this demon was, was in there and causing him to be mute, and Jesus cast it out, and he could talk. You know the scribes and Pharisees who were starting to think in their mind, this man blasphemes. Notice what they said in verse 34, but the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. When they could not deny the obvious miracle, they attribute it to Satan. Later on in Matthew, we see the seriousness of this open rejection of a Christ when in Matthew chapter 12, They are blaspheming the Holy Spirit, attributing to the devil the powers of the Holy Spirit working through Jesus. And Jesus says, you will never be forgiven because they had committed this unpardonable sin of unbelief when Jesus was right there 
my friend, it is a serious thing to reject Jesus. It's not just a trifle. It's not just, well, hey, I can choose the Lord or not choose Him. I'll be fine. No, you won't be fine. My friend, if you don't accept Christ as your Savior, you are on the way to hell. And nothing will stop you until you stop and realize you're a sinner and call out to Jesus for mercy. Forgive me. Accept me as your child. And then your life will be changed. Oh, my friend, do not pass Him by. As we finish out, notice Christ's compassion for the lost. We see His compassion displayed and His heart breaking for those with physical needs. But notice His circuit of healing in verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But I want you to notice in verse 36 his compassion for the multitudes. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were like weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. The scribes and Pharisees were supposed to be the teachers, but they were just like hirelings. They weren't good shepherds. And all these people that he had seen in his travels and all the multitudes that were following, he looked at them and he wept for them. He had compassion for them because they were like sheep wandering without someone to guide them. Christ's compassion for the multitudes. My friend, we need to have that same compassion. One can almost hear the burden of our Lord as he looked out on the fields of human life and sees so few helping to bring them in. And we must redouble our efforts to reach the lost and look at the sinfulness all around us. Look at people. You ever been to an airport and see all the various people just walking by? Sometimes I go there when I got a little time and to spare waiting for my plane. I'll say, never seen that one before, never seen that person before, never seen that person before. Yeah, it looks like, no, no, i never seen that person before. You ever just notice faces and looking at people? You ever think, where are they going? Where are they going? Well, they might be taking the next trip up north or down south or going on vacation to Europe or something like that. But where are they really going? All these multitudes of people, are they on their way to heaven? Or are they marching endlessly to a Christless eternity? Oh, may God give us that same kind of compassion for the multitudes. And so what he does in verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. You know, that's why Jesus was here. He came because of the harvest. And you know what? That's why you and I are still here. Hey, we ought to go to heaven. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I want to be there. I want to be in heaven. And the only reason we're not there yet is because there's more people that we need to influence. There's a harvest of souls out there that the Lord is waiting and waiting to send His Son to call us all home until that last soul is going to be one. And the only reason you are left here is to win people to Christ and to glorify His name. 
Pastor Billy Strathorn tells about an experience he had several years ago. He said, I was standing in line at the grocery store. In front of me was a boy about eight or nine years old, and he was looking over the display of candy bars, and, and I remember when he picked one, thinking, good choice, young man. When he placed, uh, picked up that baby Ruth candy bar, laid it on the counter, and the cashier rang it up and told him how much it was, so he reached in his pocket and pulled out a whole bunch of pennies and some nickels and only one dime plopped out on the counter. And the cashier gave him one of those looks and started counting, then looked up and said, son, you're 12 cents short. You need another 12 cents. The boy's shoulders drooped, his face dropped, and he went from grin to groan in less than a second. Just as the cashier started to tell the boy to put the candy bar back, I reached in my pocket and put 12 cents on the counter. The boy's face lit up like Christmas. He said, thanks, mister. And he took off. But then he turned around and came back, held up the candy bar and said, mister, you want a bite? <laughs> I said, no, thanks, son. You eat it. You eat it. It's your candy bar. Then he looked at me real careful like he was studying me and asked, how come? How come you did that? Before I could answer he got a look of recognition on his face. Oh, I know you. You're that preacher. <laughs> Jesus made you do it, didn't he? <laughs> what could I say? But yes, he did make me do it. And he said, I sure like Jesus, and I'm glad Jesus makes nice people like you. Bye. And he was gone. <laughs> I don't know who touched who more. I do know that I've never gotten that much pleasure out of 12 cents before or since. I didn't do anything special, but with God's love and 12 cents, I was able to touch a little boy's life and bring glory to God simply by obeying Christ's command to love our neighbors as ourselves. Folks, there is a world out there that needs to know that Jesus is real. They need to know that Jesus makes people different. They need to know Jesus in a personal way. The harvest is plenteous, but the workers are few. Would you pray the Lord of the harvest for workers to be sent out? If you do, don't be surprised when the Lord answers your prayer by sending you out into His harvest. Christ's compassion shows in His desire for Matthew to have this party to invite sinners we see the passion of the Lord with these, these uh, four guys bearing the stretcher and letting their friend down to meet Jesus. And we see the, the passion of the harvest. Oh, my friend, will you have that same passion for the harvest? Let's pray. Father in heaven, people all around us don't know Jesus. God, give us a heart that bleeds for people to know our Savior. I know that's the only reason we're still here because that last person hasn't trusted Christ yet. Father, I pray you would give us a, a vision for a field of people that don't know you yet and give us the same passion, the same heartbeat as our Lord so that people can know the Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our final song. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. 
Father, I want to thank you so much for the privilege of knowing you. As we leave these doors today and go out into this world, give us compassion for the lost. In his name we pray. Amen.